Well, here we are in a new year, 2024. I hope that's not shocking news to anyone. It's kind of a new beginning. A lot of people want to start doing things new in a new year. Uh, hopefully so far you've written the date correctly when you have to write it. I thought this morning, because it is a new year, that uh, I would kind of hit the pause button on our usual expositional preaching and review some of the foundational principles on which this church was built, this local church was built. And it might be new to some of you if you weren't here at the beginning, and, uh, but regardless, we can all use a reminder to bring us back to why we exist. Did you know there's about 40 churches in Grand Rapids? And you have chosen to be at this one today. And so it's good for us to know why we're here and really why it's even necessary that this local church exists when there are 39 others to select from. And there are some unique things about our church, and, and that's uh, what we'll review this morning. And um, it, it will be good for all of us to think through that. Um, before we start, I want to pray again that God would prepare our hearts and, and also pray for Pastor Graf again, and I uh, encourage you to pray throughout the day and tomorrow as uh, the family is facing this difficult time, and, uh, but we know that God is in control and he will be glorified through this, right? Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that I could be a vessel for your use this morning as we look to uh, really the, the foundations of the church. And I pray that we would all just have renewed commitment to what you're doing uh, on a large scale, but also in the local church. We remember the Graff family and all that's going on there, and, and certainly our human thinking is that there'd be a positive outcome physically from this, and we trust you for that. But regardless of what comes out, uh, we know that you are in control. Nothing gets away from you. Nothing unexpected happens in your economy. Um, just encourage uh, Tim and Prita as parents who are uh, struggling with what's going on and trying to keep their eyes properly focused. We just pray that you would extend your grace to them and we trust you for the outcome in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this morning we are going to examine five non-negotiables for the church. And these are things that Northland was built upon, and they are things, they are uh, principles that we still adhere to, but they are not true for every church. And you'll see as we go through these that that's really what sets our church apart. And you know what a, a negotiable is, right? It's I, I have one position, you have another, and we kind of discuss back and forth, and we end up somewhere in between. Hopefully it's a little more to my side than your side. I want to get the best deal out of it, but we both move off of what, where we started, right? Well, these non-negotiables for the church are things that we do not move on. You know, we, we will not move. These, these are... These are what they are. That's where we live and die. That's what we mean by non-negotiables here. So let's jump right in. The first one, and there'll be five of these. The first one is that we have a high view of God. 
a high view of God. We live in a world that generally has very little regard for God. And most commonly, those who do acknowledge God make a God in their own image rather than the God who is revealed in Scripture. What a sad commentary, right? And you've talked to people, probably like I have, and uh, you'll be discussing an issue, whatever it is, and you know what the Scripture says, but, but they'll have a comment, something along the line of, well, don't you think God would, and you fill in the blank. And it's their human thinking that they want God to align with, right? Whatever it is, something that is apart from Scripture. So they have created really a God in their own image. If we think in Old Testament terms, what does that sound like? Idolatry, right? Creating a God after your own image? You know, oh, we would never make a golden calf, right? Well, we do far worse things than that in creating a God in our own image, one that aligns with what we think ought to be done rather than what God sees. So we're talking about a high view of God here. It seems the church in general, and especially in our Western world, has become a church for the help of men, and the church thinks its goal is to help people feel better about themselves. Well, nothing could be further from the truth, and and don't take this the wrong way, but I hope you leave the church feeling pretty bad about yourself. Because when we look to the Scripture and we understand who God is, we see ourselves like we really are, and we see the sinfulness that has to be taken care of, right? And there should be nothing pleasant about that. You should go out feeling pretty rotten. And then we've done our job, because we have allowed God to be who he is in the Scriptures, and when we look at our own lives in light of that, we have a long way to go, right? So, too often the church plays psychological games. Uh, They do things to patch up marriages, to give people placebos. Uh, You know what a placebo is, right? I I don't want you to go away with with terms, thinking that I made up terms. We've never heard that before. A placebo is a harmless pill, medicine, or procedures prescribed more for the psychological benefit to the patient than for any physiological or physical benefit, right? And so it's just, it's just making you think different. You know, we have, we have a magic drug here that's going to cure whatever ailment, right? And so we give the real drug to some people, and we give the other people sugar pills, and some of the people on sugar pills start feeling better right away, right? That's a placebo. And so that's not what the church is about. It's not to make you just feel better about yourself when there's no substance there, and that's not what God is thinking. The purpose of the church was never intended to make you feel better. The purpose of the church is to bring God glory through what he's doing in the church. And what he's doing in the church is sanctifying his people, right? And that means we're departing from our sin and we're living more like God. So here at Northland, we aren't interested in psychological games to make people feel better. We aren't interested in placebos that send people away feeling better. We aren't interested in patching things up so you feel a little better than when you came in. I'm reminded here of Hebrews 4.12, which says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
The picture here is one of radical surgery, not making someone feel better. It's cutting away that which is diseased by sin and not putting a band-aid on it. And the reality is we all need radical surgery to move us toward holiness, but that only happens when we have a high view of God, a biblical view of the God of the Scriptures. Right? So our goal as believers must be to know and glorify God. If you know God rightly, that is biblically, you'll be a whole lot better off because then you'll have the access to the answer to every problem that comes your way. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. From Proverbs 9, right? And so we want to know God. When we know the God of Scripture, then we're in a position to be able to take care of what our ailments are. And when you have a right relationship with God and you take God seriously and you get rightly connected with God, then all other things are going to fall out in their proper place. Too often we get things out of order. We want all the details of our life fixed. And after I get everything taken care of, well, then I'll have time to really look to the Scriptures, understand who God is, you know, get, get my spiritual life in order. It'll never happen that way. It starts with knowing the God of Scriptures. Then everything else is taken care of. We're, uh, we're pretty skilled at getting things out of order in our lives. And this is, this is one area where we can't get things out of order. We must have a high view of God to start with. That's, that's not to say, as I describe all this, that uh, we are not concerned about people's needs we are concerned as God is, as Christ was, but it is to say that there's a correct way of dealing with human problems, and that's God's way, and it all begins with a high view of God. We must take God seriously. A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So, I don't have to tell you this is an irreverent age. The most common reference to God today may well be the OMG in a text message. What a sad commentary that is. Most people today do not know how to worship because they don't know the object of their worship. Even what many people today call worship is simply inducing a warm feeling, and then people think that's worship. But in this age that knows little about God, we don't know what it is to tremble at his word. We don't know what it is to have an awesome confrontation with an infinitely holy God that leaves us broken over our own sinfulness and therefore usable to him for his glory we all want to feel good about ourselves. We want to get all that we need, have all our problems solved. But that can never happen apart from a proper view of the God of the Scriptures. Again, I'm reminded here of Deuteronomy 6. And you all have heard this before. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. 
And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Does that sound like you are all in in understanding who God is? That's where God wants us to be, and that's where we will be when we understand a proper view of who God is. Well, the bottom line here is people don't take God seriously. They don't walk according to his laws, so they get themselves in a mess they're in. So what we endeavor to do is to continue to lift up God, and that's why we continually study the scriptures. James says, draw near to God in James 4, 8, and what? He will draw near to you, right? He will draw near to you. Now, what could be better than that? How would you like to live a life with God near you? Wouldn't you like that? And you ought to be thinking, well, yeah, that sounds good. Have God near me. So he'll draw near to you, but as you think more about it, and maybe if you've experienced it, you might say, yeah, but when you get near God, oh boy, that can get scary. And that's the whole point. Because in the next phrase there in James, after you draw near to God and he'll draw near to you, it quickly says, cleanse your hands, you sinners. The closer you get to God, the more you see your sin. And that's a frightening thing. But then we're told, humble yourselves and the Lord will lift you up. We see ourselves as who we are. We see the sin that remains God deals with that, and we are lifted up. We are put in a place where we're useful for him. So we should be very resolved in our minds to take God seriously, believe he must be exalted and lifted up, and we certainly do not want to have a man-centered church. We want to reach everyone in the love of Christ and the love of God, but God will be and should always be the focus of our worship and our life. And we aren't looking at the Bible just as a place to find little formulas to fix our problems. The Bible primarily is revealing God to us. And after that, then when we know God, then we can know our right relationship to him, and then the scriptures come alive in how we can apply them. Apart from knowing God, you know, we, we, it's just impossible to live the life that he has intended for us. So, hopefully you're with me. The first non-negotiable here for our church is we need to have a high view of God. We need to know the God of the Scriptures. Number two, on my list, there's a second non-negotiable flows right out of the first, and that is the absolute authority of Scripture. The absolute authority of Scripture. There's no wiggle room. There's no explaining any part of Scripture away. We don't compromise on this. And you know as well as I do, in our culture here, the Bible is constantly being attacked. And you are also aware that many churches agree with our culture on things that are in direct opposition to what the Bible says. Happens all the time, right? Uh, a church council meets or uh, uh, the Pope makes a declaration and all of a sudden something is okay that was never okay previously. And 
what we're really dealing with is this very issue of the authority of Scripture. People are dismissing the authority of Scripture. If you want to hold that view, all you do is eliminate the Bible or parts of the Bible or just explain away parts of it, and it's very convenient and it happens all the time around us, but not here. The problem is if you dismiss any one part of Scripture as not being authoritative, what's to say there aren't more passages that don't apply today? And if you start down that road, then who ultimately gets to decide? which passages are for today and which aren't. The Bible is authoritative because it is God's word and God does not change. You all know 2 Timothy 3:16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God and the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You want to be equipped to live in this life? Verse 17 there, right? The Scripture will do it for us. The Scripture is useful here. It's God's, God's Word, God's very words that were written through men from it, the teaching, the reproof, the correction, the training. You want to be equipped for life? You want to be able to handle the problems that come your way? See God's word as authoritative, right? Don't explain it away. Don't try to uh, pick and choose which parts are convenient for you. Not only do we not throw out portions of Scripture for various reasons, we also don't add to Scripture. There's no place for visions, dreams, or human reasoning being put on the level of the authoritative Scriptures. That dream that you had may well have been the result of that double pepperoni pizza you had last night and nothing more. Again, you've all read this, Revelation 22, 18 and 19. Warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of the book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. Right? Don't try to get rid of parts of the Bible. Don't try to add to parts of the Bible. It's God's Word. It's complete. It's sufficient. It's all there. Everything we need. One more comment here about the sufficiency and the authoritative nature of the Scriptures. And that is, you know there are many people who say they believe the Bible, but have no clue what it teaches isn't that really kind of the biggest crime of all? Oh, I believe the Scriptures. I believe the Bible cover to cover. I have no clue what's in there. Let's not fall into that category. People like that believe what they don't even know. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but what by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And that is why we are serious about God's Word. We've got to study every word the authority of Scripture is non-negotiable. We must teach. We must teach every word. And hopefully there's no one here who just doesn't have an appetite for learning God's word because the word is a priority here. It's where we live and die. It's, it's non-negotiable. 
Every word of Scripture is true. Right? So we start with a high view of God, and we make that commitment to knowing the God of the Scriptures, and then we're going to stick with His revelation, the authority of His Word. The third non-negotiable comes on the heels of the first two, and that is sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. And really, doctrine here, to help us understand all that we're talking about here, it just means teaching. Sound teaching. Sound doctrine. Okay? There is, in Christianity today, there's a doctrinal vagueness that just permeates Christianity. And by that I mean nobody gets really very specific and nails things down, kind of talk in vague terms, and then everybody just kind of shakes their head and goes on their merry way, and nobody really knows what we're talking about. Well, that's not really what we're interested in. We are not interested in that kind of fuzziness. As one man stated the problem, he said, it's just sermonettes for Christianettes. You know, what, what good is it? You know, little, little pieces here and there that make people feel good, maybe little helpful things, not really sure what the ultimate purposes are, and it's nice and it might be interesting and it might make you feel emotional, but ugh, just, just kind of falls flat. There's no substance there. So, we want to move beyond the warm fuzzies and just being pumped up. We want to get to sound doctrine. And unfortunately, most churches are failing to frame the truth about God, the truth about life, death, heaven, hell, the truth about man, sin, Christ, angels, the Holy Spirit, the position of the believer, the flesh, the world. The Bible is very clear on all those topics and much more, and we want to know what it says. We want to have something that we can get our hands on. We want the truth. And sound doctrine gives us the truth. And we know we're on firm footing when we have sound doctrine from the Scriptures. That's why we are always talking about applying principles from the text. You take a text, you find out what it says, and then you make application. What you're doing here is drawing out divine truth and you establish that truth in all of our minds, and then we know how to live, right? And sound doctrine is the basis for that. I love 1 Timothy 4.13, where Paul says, and in one verse here, he really gives us the approach to the Scriptures. He says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. And there it is. You read the text, you explain the text, and you apply the text. Right? And then we have what we need to deal with the issues of life. So that's why we're here. Our intention is there's no doctrinal ambiguity, there's only doctrinal clarity. We know what the Bible says, that's what we believe, and for everyone who's part of this church, you understand why you believe that. By the way, don't believe something just because I said it, or Mr. Zarin said it, or Rodney said it. You know, what we, what we teach should cause you to look in the Scriptures and see if those things are so. See if that's really true. And if it's not true, you ought to be telling me so I can get my act together. If it is true, then you know where you stand, right? Because you've checked it out. 
So then we leave these we live all this out by application. There's generally a lot of confusion about Christian doctrine today, but that is not true here. The word of God is clear and that's where we stand. By the way, um this this business of God's word being clear, um hopefully I'll remember to mention this again, but you know God has given us his word so we know what he wants us to know, right? So you don't need a secret decoder ring. You don't need any, any special formula. You don't need to uh, interpret things in some strange way to get the meaning out of God's word. He's given us his word so we know. He's made it clear. Just read it plainly for what it says. You don't have to go through any special gyrations. And this is, I mean, just read it for what it says, what it plainly says. And it helps to understand the history and maybe some of the grammar, but there's nothing hidden in Scripture. And there's, there's kind of a movement today where there are these hidden things. And, you know, it says that, but that's not what it means. Let me tell you what it really means. God did not write his word in that way. He's not trying to hide the truth from us. He's trying to reveal it to us. That's why he gave it to us. So very, very clearly. And so we want to end up with sound doctrine. There's a fourth non-negotiable here as we think through these things this morning. Really foundations for the church here. And that is personal holiness. Personal holiness. We are all, I feel, victimized by an absolutely unholy society that we live in. You can hardly look anywhere without just unholy filth and garbage and trash coming at you continually and it's pumped out in our society. Um, What passes as entertainment serves no purpose but to push people further and further from God. And here I I can't help but mention uh, the music, the TV, the social media, the rest of the immoral stuff and, and you might be looking at me and saying, well, you're just an old guy. You, you don't know that we can, we can get some good things out of some of this. And, and, and you might be thinking, well, what do you know about this? And perhaps there are useful applications of some of these things. But for the most part, it's totally against holy living. It feeds an undisciplined lifestyle It's disconnected from reality. It feeds your imagination that will reinforce sinful thinking. And the result is you're unable to think biblically. So if you can sort through all those results of what's coming at us and find good in there, um, you know, good for you. But I'm just telling you that it is an uphill battle for what is coming at us from our culture. We, though, are called to live a pure life, and we cannot negotiate on that. There are no compromises here. There's none. We don't compromise at all. One of our problems is that we become desensitized to sin when we're continually bombarded by it. You've perhaps heard of the example of the frog in the boiling water. Take a frog, try to throw him in a pot of boiling water, he'll jump right out, right? Take a frog put the frog in tepid water and then put it on the heat source 
and gradually warm it up and the frog will just sit there and cook because little by little he's acclimating to the change in temperature and he doesn't even know what's happening. Is that what's happening to us as Christians in our society? You know, what we thought was a, a very evil thing 10 years ago, uh, it's, it just happens all the time. You know, I don't even notice it anymore. It, it's very true. And, and so what do we do? Well, one, one big thing that will help us in our battle here is to uh, continually have our minds renewed by the Word, and it kind of resets our thinking to where it should be. And then we realize that, oh, that, that's a long ways from the personal holiness I should be pursuing. So it puts us back on track. 2 Corinthians 7.1, Paul says, Having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Did you know that your goal in this life, as far as your lifestyle, is to perfect holiness? Well, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it? Got a long way to go. But the, the real issue here isn't achieving it, which you will never do in this life, but are you making progress? Are you more holy today than you were last year, seven days ago? Are you working toward being more holy? That's what we're called to do. So we want to reinforce that in the local church. So how do we reinforce holy living? The responsibility falls to each one of us. And you have likely heard this before and were given the instruction really throughout Scripture, but especially in Matthew 18. If you see someone sinning, someone in your local church sinning, they're having a struggle with something in their life. What do you do? Do you run and tell Pastor Graft? Do you come and tell me about it? No, that's not what the Scripture says. If you see someone in sin, you go to them. And you help them. You tell them what you, what you observe. And you know what happens most of the time when you do that? You know what the response is? You, you might think that it's, well, what, what do you know? Rodney, what do you know? You're coming to me. Yeah, go away. You know, it's not that at all. It's, thank you for coming. I didn't realize I was doing that. Because sin deceives us. We don't know we're sinning when we're sinning. So most of the time, when you go to someone to confront them about their sin, you are thanked profusely for that. And it's good for all of us, right? Occasionally, if someone uh, is unrepentant about their sin, there are other steps we take, and those are laid out in Scripture, but we almost don't even need to talk about those now because the majority of the time, one-on-one -on -one is how this happens. And it results in a pure church, it results in pure lives, and uh, it doesn't matter who it is, if you observe sin, you go. I, I thought here, as I was, as I was uh, thinking about this, I thought, noble, noble. If you see me sinning, you know, you need to come and tell me about that. Do you know that? Yeah, noble knows. That's the way it needs to happen. So don't think that, oh, I couldn't approach one of the elders here and do this, or, or I couldn't go to that person because they know so much more than I do 
No, you go when you see this happening. doesn't matter who you are. Um, and of course, because we are all Minnesota nice here, you're thinking, that would be so uncomfortable to have to do that, right? That, that's out of my comfort zone. I don't know if I have news for you. There's nothing in the scriptures about your comfort. We're talking about holy living here. And all of us should be very interested in holy lives, and this is how it happens. We have to confront sin, and we all have the responsibility to do that. There's no person sitting here that is exempt from this. So we're just obedient, right? Don't worry about being comfortable. Who cares about being comfortable? We do what's right. We obey. That's what we need to do. Um, the other thing to remember about this business of confronting sin, on any given day, all of us could be on either end of this. We could be the one being helped, or we could be the one going to do the helping. And so we, we all stand to benefit, so don't think that you're, uh, this is something I'm going to back out of and not do, because you may need someone to help you see the sin in your life, and what if they decided that they weren't going to be uncomfortable that day? You know, we don't want that to happen. Everybody is going to be a beneficiary of this. Everybody has the responsibility to be a part of this. Okay? Doesn't matter who it is. You know, you go. The end result here is that a holy church results. And our individual lives are all moved in the proper direction in our sanctification. So, where are we in terms of holiness then? Where are we in terms of real communion with the living God? And I want to make, make clear here that uh, talking about holiness, talking about this relationship with God, it isn't just the leaders, it is the leaders, but it's everyone else in the church too. It's everyone that is a part of this local church. We can't just sit back and live half-committed Christians' lives and expect God's work to be done God's way. Everybody is in the same boat here. Everybody is a participant. Okay? So far, the four things that I've highlighted for you, a high view of God, the absolute authority of Scripture, sound doctrine, and personal holiness. There's one more that I'd like to draw your attention to, and that is spiritual authority. Spiritual authority. We believe that a church must understand there is authority over the people in that church, and that authority is Christ, who is the head, who mediates his rule through godly elders. We believe that because that's what the Bible says. No one here invented that. It's what the scripture says. The Bible says that the elders have rule over you in the Lord. Again, Acts 20, 28. We mentioned that during the communion service this morning. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. 
you catch that? That the Holy Spirit has put these elders over the church really to watch over their souls. It's just that simple. The elders have authority, and unfortunately, that authority can be abused. There are men who get into that seat of authority, and they wield the authority as if it were uh, given to them by the office or their own personality, but it's really not intended to be that at all. It's the authority of the Word of God in the hands of a godly man. In other words, I don't, as an elder, I don't have any authority in any area of your life except to tell you what the Bible says. So, I don't, I don't tell you where to live or what kind of car to drive or how to dress, but what I can tell you is what the Scriptures say and how we should be living obediently to the Scriptures. That's the kind of authority that we're talking about here. When a man gets out of sight of that, he violates God's design, but when it comes to the Word of God, there is authority there. And you know that there are many people that are very paranoid about this. And I'll give you an example. Um, Julie and I, when we were first married, we had some good friends that we, uh, a young married couple, and we were young married couple at that time. Can you imagine that? I was young at one time. And, and we spent a lot of time with them, and they were good friends, and then we kind of went our separate ways, and we had families and so forth. Well, probably about five years ago, we got together with them, and we were just talking about what had happened in the intervening years, and talking about the church they went to, and I told them about our church here, and that I was an elder here. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, oh, I could never go to a church like that, that had elders. And I thought, what about what the Bible says? I mean, what do you do with that? And, but see, here was this, this mental impression that uh, I, I could never submit to authority in that way. Um, there is a tendency for all of us, I think, especially in our country, to try to impose our democratic form of government on the church. You know, everybody gets a vote, right? By the way, we don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative republic. If it was a democracy, you would be voting on everything. You would be right there on the city council every time they met. You would be at the state legislature every time they met. You would be in Washington, D.C. DC every time they met, and you would vote on everything. That would be a true democracy. What a pain that would be. You'd spend your whole life voting on things. But we have representatives that we send to all those levels of government, right? And you elect those to represent your interest. So it's that uh, representative kind of republic. But the reality is our flesh resists authority. We don't like anybody telling us what to do, right? The thing is, it's God's design for the church to have elders to lead. Now, I want to make it clear, I love our country and I believe we have the best form of government in the world, but I also want you to know that there is one form of government that's better. And that is the government of a benevolent dictator the king who is totally pure and loves his people flawlessly, and this will be the government we have when Christ sets up his kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth and reigns forever. 
So, enjoy where we live while we're here, but this ain't it, folks. There's something a lot better coming. In the meantime, the elders are here to give you the truth and protect you from error. So the church must understand that God has given to the church godly men who have the authority to represent Jesus Christ by example and precept in the church, and the church must lovingly come under their leadership. And I need to tell you that leadership will not be flawless, it will not be perfect, and I pray that we uh, be as close to what we should be as we can be but I know that there'll be failure. I'm sorry, your elders are going to fail you because we're imperfect men. But we have to understand that there has been given to the church those who are to be our leaders. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says to honor those men and esteem them highly in love for their work. And in Hebrews 13, it says to submit to them for they watch for your souls. And so you follow their example. Um, I would encourage you to come to the elders when you see something that's not right because we want to make things right. We want to make things scriptural. But I'd also encourage you to spend at least as much time praying for your elders as you spend criticizing them. And I think that's a responsibility that you have to the elders. So, what have we said here this morning? If the church is going to be the body of Christ, it has to have the right framework. And we have endeavored in this local church to have these five non-negotiables here, those being having a high view of God. And that has to be our pursuit always, is to know him, to know him, to know him. In seeking to know him, we submit to the absolute authority of Scripture. That's the place where he alone may be known. And so we have that high view of God, and we accept the absolute authority of Scripture, and we're committed to sound doctrine, and then we apply that doctrine, resulting in personal holiness, and we finally submit our souls to the care of those who are over us in the Lord in spiritual authority, and these five truths are non-negotiable because if you don't have these five things working in the church, the rest of the stuff is really going to be very short-range, very shallow. It's going to be fluff. And I don't know about you, but I have enough fluff in my life. I don't need any fluff in the church. And so we want to be committed to these things. If we can see where the real war lies and we're committed to these foundational truths, I believe God has a great future for this church. There's one final thought this morning for you personally, and that is so much of what I've talked about here this morning is connected to God's Word. So if you're going to have these truths as non-negotiables, not only in your church, but also in your own life, you need to be feeding daily on God's Word feeding daily on God's Word. Think of it this way. If you ate one meal a week on Sunday, you would quickly be in starvation mode and you would die one meal a week. If you ate two meals a week, if you ate one on Sunday and one on Wednesday, 
you would still be in starvation mode. You would last a little longer, but you would die within a few months of malnutrition. So the same is true about your need for the life-sustaining Word of God. You need to be feasting on it daily. You need to be taking it in. And if it's not your habit, I would just beg you to start today. Start taking it in. Because without it, spiritually speaking, you are malnourished. You can have great teaching on Sunday. You can be here all the time on Wednesday night. That's not enough. That's not enough. God has given you his word. It's understandable. Just start reading it. Start reading it and taking it in. It will make all the difference in your life. Every day, you need it. And like I mentioned earlier, God has given it to us for us to read. There, there is no mystery there. Just start reading it. Take it for what it says and you will become the person God wants you to be. There's no other way that'll happen. Okay? Let me pray, and we'll be dismissed this morning. But I see by the clock, it's only 11.25. Don't tell Pastor Graf we got out a little early. Okay? Otherwise, we'll have to stay until like noon or 1 o'clock, you know, j- just so we don't get in bad habits. Let me pray, and we'll be dismissed this morning. You are a God, Lord, and your word is important. What it teaches is important, and holiness is important, because it's all what you desire. And spiritual authority is important, because you desire uh, the right kind of rule in your own church. Help us to consider important what you consider important, and not spend all our time fooling around with trivia that really doesn't matter. Lord, I pray you would guard our hearts so we don't become apathetic and indifferent. Lord, I pray that the world would not have a great effect on us uh, because we've not taken your word seriously, but motivate us to be all in for what you desire in your church and do a work in our hearts and remind us frequently of these non-negotiables that are part of the church, but really also need to be a part of our individual lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.